How's it going? I'm Xander Fryer, just another millennial corporate dropout turned entrepreneur. Since quitting my day job as an engineer just over four years ago, I built a multi-million dollar coaching business, mentoring seven-figure business owners, professional athletes, award-winning musicians, Hollywood actors, best-selling authors, and hundreds of aspiring entrepreneurs. I truly believe that when we couple the right knowledge with a strong desire for action, anything is possible. But most of us are never given the right knowledge, the shit you don't learn in college. The Sidlik Podcast shares interviews from the world's most successful people in business, finance, sports, health, and entertainment in order to help you live a life filled with more money, more meaning, and more freedom than you ever thought possible. Get ready to learn the shit you don't learn in college. All right. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. Today, we've got my guest, Ed Cressy. Now, Ed is almost certainly the only person who was ever arrested by the FBI, then later recognized with a community service award by the FBI director. Audience are inspired by his personal and powerful story to overcoming devastating drug addiction, conspiracy beliefs, and mental challenges. They grasp the immense value of second chances when they learn how second chances allowed Ed to rise from incarceration, destitution, and psychosis. Uh, you're going to dig into how overcoming his own beliefs and obstacles uh, when they when the journey that Ed went on allowed him to take a path along spiritual. Uh, depth, volunteering inside jails and maximum security prisons, helping law enforcement better serve communities affected by addiction and achieving his childhood dream of becoming an author. Now, Ed's work appears in the Washington Post along with other places. He's spoken in front of MIT, Cisco, Google, LinkedIn, and numerous faith-based communities. And his memoir, My Addiction and Recovery, is available everywhere books are sold. Now, we're going to go deep in this episode. We're going to talk about how Ed went from being arrested by the FBI to teaching them hand-to-hand self-defense. We're going to talk about the 3S system he used to overcome addiction permanently. We're going to dig into the importance of having a belief in God or a higher power, not necessarily religion, and having a successful life. And we're going to talk about some of the most inspirational people he's learned from, and some of these you're probably going to be really surprised by. And don't forget, we only spread our message when you share this knowledge with others that need it. So if you enjoy this episode, please share it on your social and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. And if you've gotten any value from this podcast, don't forget to go to www.sidlickbook.com to grab your pre-sale copy of Shit You Don't Learn in College, which is open now. It'll be an absolute game changer. So everybody who buys the book during the pre-sale launch, We'll get over $3,000 in bonus trainings and programs. So you want to head over to www.sidlickbook.com. That's S-Y-D-L-I-C book.com and check it out now. All right. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. Uh, Can't wait to get rolling today. We've got my good friend, Ed Cressy on the show. Ed, welcome to the show, man. Xander, great to be here. I am, I am super excited to dig, dig in. You have a, uh, a very dull story that we're going to talk about here from, from being arrested by the FBI to uh, you know, getting the community service award from the FBI director, all the things that you learned along the way. Um, so couldn't be more excited to dig in with you and, and thank you for coming on the show. Ed, for, uh, for everybody that doesn't know who you are, 
Um, could we kind of go back to, uh, you know, back in time to when you were struggling with drug addiction, obviously getting arrested by the FBI and give a little bit of background to your story. Sure. Xander. Well, you know, uh, tracing back my, my family, I had, uh, ancestors who came over on the Mayflower. I, uh, my grandfather was an artist. He drew the first Lone Ranger in the, uh, in the comic books. He drew one of the first Batman comic books. Well, that's the, pretty fun. It, it, it is. It, the town I grew up in, in Massachusetts, uh, is the final resting place of the man who fired the shot heard around the world to start the Revolutionary War, reportedly. So the wow. point is, Xander, uh, I was a person who wasn't, quote unquote, supposed to descend into drug addiction. I wasn't, quote unquote, supposed to end up spending nights in homeless shelters, doing stints and rehabs coming to on the floor of a padded cell where I'd been stripped naked by sheriff's deputies and locked up because I refused to cooperate with police after I was arrested, breaking into my family's home to steal for meth money, meth being methamphetamine, of course. You know, Xander, I could go on and on and on. The, the point is addiction happens to everyone. Yeah. Addiction doesn't discriminate. I've known people, when I went to rehab, one of my one of the times I went to rehab, a, a good friend of mine there had won Major League Baseball's Most Valuable Player Award. Wow! Right? So yeah, here was a guy who had risen to the very top of his career in one of the most challenging careers that there is. Uh, Major League, one of the more challenging careers, Major League Baseball. He was a superstar. He was in rehab just like me. I let myself descend. I, I made a lot of poor choices. I let myself des descend into a lot of these conspiracy beliefs. I believed uh, in reality, I, I had done a lot of kickboxing. I'd gone to Bangkok in the year 2000 yeah. to train with some of the professionals there. I, I befriended a guy. I came back to San Francisco as I descended deeper and deeper into methamphetamine addiction. I came to believe that my friend from Bangkok had been one of the 9-11 hijackers. From there, wow. I believed, yeah, yeah. And, you know, from there, I believed that, I mean, he might have been, you, you look at his picture, he looks a little bit like one of the hijackers, but that doesn't, that certainly doesn't mean, even if he had been associated with uh, terrorists, my friend, certainly doesn't mean that the FBI was following me around in, in yeah. self bombers and beaming disembodied voices into my head like I thought was happening. I just, uh, you know, I, I just made a, a lot of poor choices to allow myself to get descend very deeply into these conspiracy beliefs. They fueled my drug addiction. My drug addiction fueled my conspiracy beliefs. I, I sank deeper and deeper, threw away a, I threw away a lot of things. I threw away a professional career with Genentech, the biotech firm that was named the number one best company in America to work for by Fortune magazine. I worked for Stanford University they, uh, they, you know, they hired me. They treated me very well. Stanford's considered one of the finest institutes of yeah. higher learning in the world. A lot of, I could go, I owned a home in San Francisco. I had many loving relationships, a wonderful family. I threw it all away. I, you know, what I used to do to get back to your question, I used to show up at the FBI offices demanding or pleading for an end to the conspiracy. Yeah, you know, I would do this. I would write them letters. I would bring in electronics that that I thought were were were, were tapped or yeah tapped. Haven't came exactly. <clears throat> I would do this repeatedly, and one day I finally pushed it too far. The FBI, I'd had an outstanding bench. I'd had a bench warrant out 
and the FBI was forced to arrest me. I had failed to appear on a on a previous court case. My, my failure to appear in court on that day the FBI arrested me it really represents a much, much greater failure on my part. I failed to use the many blessings society provided me in service to society. Instead, I ended up cheating welfare. I ended up uh, stealing from, in many cases, from my family, from the people closest to me. I ended up destitute, uh, shambling the sidewalks of San Francisco, where yeah. I used to live, having screaming matches with people who weren't even there, you know, frightening, uh, frightening the citizens. The story has a great ending. It has a great ending. Thanks to remarkable women and men, many of whom, ironically, are in law enforcement many of whom wear badges, who are police officers and or FBI agents, and certainly so many of our sisters and brothers who are or were incarcerated and who, like me, are turning their lives around. All these people and many more helped me transform my life from one of taking from my communities to one of giving back. Yeah. That's how I went from arrested by the FBI to <laughs> I'm so grateful to the FBI. I'm so grateful for the FBI's having uh, given me a second chance. The FBI and many others allowed me to serve as a volunteer to help reduce addiction and recidivism in the San Francisco Bay Area where, where I was living for a long time. I'm so grateful to the FBI and, and many, many others for having had the chance to, uh, to meet the FBI director and be personally presented with an award for, uh, for community service. You know, it doesn't mean that Ed Cressy is some great person. Far, far from it. What it speaks to are the women and men in American society and elsewhere through the world who gave someone like me second chances. Yeah. People who gave me opportunities to volunteer, people who allowed me to get back on my feet to put the, the drug addiction and the conspiracy beliefs behind me. So many people gave me second chances. I'm just incredibly grateful for the chance to give back to our society. I, in some small way. I, I love that, man. There's there's a couple of things that I want to make sure that we unpack in here. Um, I think the first one, obviously, um, is you mentioned that it was a belief. You had this belief that that you know there was this FBI conspiracy, that there was something going on. And I think that's so powerful. We always talk about how drastically our beliefs can actually impact our lives, right? And when you build such a powerful belief like that, it can send your life into an absolute spiral, right? And clearly you now have different, almost opposite beliefs that are sending your life into an upward spiral. Can you talk about, can you talk about that for a second, how this belief affected your life in the past and, and maybe what beliefs you have now that are really taking you in the right direction? Absolutely. Well, you know, if we talk about what you didn't learn in college, one important thing I never learned in college was that it's not my circumstances that shape my beliefs nearly as much as it's my beliefs that shape my circumstances. Yeah. And you, you even, you even mentioned like you had a great upbringing. You, you came from, from a good family. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like you, you this was, uh, you know, inevitable or destined to be right. Exactly. I think one important thing, a couple important things, you know, it's, it's great that you, uh, it's wonderful you bring it up. We talk of conspiracy theories. Yeah, you hear that term. For someone like me, they're not theories. It's they, truth. I know me. They're absolutely true. They're they're yeah. distorted truths. Looking through my uh, my the lenses that that were affected by addiction and many other things. And that's yeah. that's so powerful, though. That like our beliefs, our beliefs are not true. 
except they are to us. Exactly. Right. And, and we, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah. And, and our beliefs, uh, everything that we, we perceive or almost everything we perceive or that we see are directed by our beliefs. Yeah. So for me, when I believed the FBI was after me, my, uh, my subconscious, I would tell my subconscious, you know, every day when I woke up, there's another day when the FBI is after me. Here's another day when my family and friends are all against me. Here's another day when I have no choice but to do methamphetamine just to make it through the course of the day. These things are only as true as I make them. Yeah. When I, when I believe these things, I told my subconscious and my subconscious directed my vision to only see things that reinforce those beliefs. Yeah. When, when I turn those beliefs around, I could say things like, well, hey, you know, OK, may, maybe I can't help but but believe that there is a uh, there's a, a, pre- a powerful presence in my in my life that acts yeah. upon me. Because when you when you quit methamphetamine, when, when you're as deep into the addiction as I was, the, the beliefs don't go away just like that. Yeah. You know, it took a process of and it's still a process. So how, how did how did you do that? Like, because I think that's, you know, obviously addiction is a is a, is a big problem in today's society. My, my, my best friend committed suicide and he, you know, had issues with addiction. And, um, you know, that was something that I think, you know, prevented him from pulling his way out, but there were some, there was some darkness, some deep seated beliefs that he never made it out of. How come someone like you was able to make it out? I call it the the three S's. Yeah. The three S's spirituality, self-improvement and service to others. As long as I'm whatever I'm doing covers one or more of those three S's, then it's putting me on the right path. Ultimately, it's God. It's a belief in uh, a force, a higher power, something greater than I that I don't understand, but that I believe exists. And that faith in God carried me through some devastatingly dark and troubling times, even after I quit meth. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear about your friend. I, I, I contemplated suicide. I was... I was uh, suicidally depressed for a long, long time. What got me through it was that these spiritual beliefs. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk about that then. I'd love to dig into that because I think, you know, there, I think there's more people out there than would care to admit probably listening to this right now that might suffer from some form of substance abuse. They might not necessarily call themselves an addict but they might definitely they might definitely be in that position of abusing some form of substances whether it's methamphetamines or or alcohol or anything like that could be as simple as you know an addiction to caffeine and coffee or or social media social media absolutely right these are all addictive tendencies um so I, let's let's talk about those 3 s's and how did those 3 s's really help you turn your life around you know spirituality it's like my, one of my favorite quotes is from George Harrison of the Beatles he said that everything can wait except the search for spiritual meaning. Love it. I'm, I'm yeah. I'm paraphrasing him because he, he uses God, but I I take spiritual meaning and God to be almost interchangeable. Everything yeah. can wait except that search for spiritual meaning. So if you, if anyone is struggling, it's definitely worth an exploration of of spirituality. For me, I consumed as many books as I could. I spoke to as many spiritual practitioners from the. Hasidic Jews to the Hari Krishnas to the Hindu spiritual texts everywhere in between. I joined faith-based organizations. I joined meditation groups. I learned as much as I can, I could, and I'm still in the process of learning more and more. And so let's, let's be clear. You're, you're not necessarily talking about religious dogma. You're talking about spirituality. 
right? A a belief in a higher power. It's almost a a form of surrender, being able to let go to something higher than yourself. That's a great way to put it. It's a form of surrender. And the uh, definition I like is that anything that's not material can be considered spiritual. Got it. Love it. So So, so spirituality, what was the second S? Self-improvement. Self-improvement. I undertook daily practices are so important. Certainly fitness, nutrition, meditation. I've had an ongoing meditation practice. That, that's my bedrock uh, going back 14 years since I, since I quit meth. Meditation is so important. These daily practices, whatever they are, they serve as a foundation. Yeah. When the inevitable storms of self-doubt assail us, when we are in pursuit of living our best lives, it's these daily practices that, that form this solid foundation upon which we can stand and we can... Uh, the, the storms, uh, the storms may batter us, the, the self-doubt, the negativity, the depression, whatever it may be, these things may, may batter us. When we have those daily practices, we can stand firm. We can make it from one day to the next. So when it comes to self-improvement, daily practices I've found are, have been one of the most important, if not the most important thing. Awesome. I love that. And the, you said the third was service, right? Service to others, uh, especially in my case, our, our sisters and brothers who are or were incarcerated. I, I only served uh, a little bit of time. Relatively, I served two and a half months in uh, county jail, psychiatric ward, places like that. But, you know, Xander, the reason that I only served two and a half months is, let's face it, society gave me unfair advantages because of my skin color. Yeah. Because of my socioeconomic background. I, I'm a white guy. I committed hundreds of felonies before I ever got busted for one. If I had, what I've come to learn, thanks to our sisters and brothers who are or were incarcerated, who I worked with extensively, who I still work with, who are passing along their wisdom, their life experiences to me, I realized, hey, Ed Cressy is not a, a better person than someone who served a long stretch in jail or in prison. I used to think that I, I never realized until I was started examining myself and working with incarcerated persons. Yeah. I used to think that I was somehow better than people who served long stretches in prison or, or I was wiser or, or my yeah. decisions were better. That's not true at all. That's not true at all. Society gives a, a privileged white guy like me. This is my lived experience, by the way. I'm, I'm not you know, projecting onto anyone else. My yeah. lived experience is such that my privileges are the only reason I'm certain that I didn't do stretches in prison. When I look at, when I see that, when my beliefs, getting back to beliefs, when I change my beliefs and now these are my beliefs, that life of service makes it so that I don't have to do drugs anymore. I don't, I don't need that, that fix. I don't need that high. I don't need that uh, temporary solution. I have a real solution, a, a permanent solution, which is being of service to others, and again, so importantly, self-improvement and most importantly, that third S, that spirituality. Yeah. So it's almost like that, that service, like is the new addiction. It's like that, that fills the hole. It, you could put it that way. Yes, absolutely. The other uh, service to me and all of the three S's, yeah. I think the most important part is incorporating fear, overcoming fear. You know, yeah. there's uh, a great um, author I'm, I'm sure you've heard of, uh, Joseph Campbell. Yep. Yeah, he wrote that the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Yeah. Right. I love that. But for me, I was deathly afraid of the FBI. 
The yeah. FBI, it terrified me. They were even years after I quit methamphetamine, the FBI was still following me in the helicopters and about to send SWAT teams to smash down my door and drag me off to uh, be tortured to death. These are my beliefs long after I quit meth. So you know what I did? I volunteered for the FBI. The you, went, you, went, you went straight after. You do, the, you do the thing that scared you the most. That scared me the most. Well, it didn't scare me quite the most, but it was, it was in the <laughs> top, top maybe three. What, what scared me the most is, uh, is traveling overseas because I maintain these uh, beliefs about the Al-Qaeda and the Mossad. And all that. But that's maybe for a separate conversation. <laughs> the, the fact is I was terrified of the FBI through a long gradual, painstaking, often terrifying process. I ended up becoming a self-defense instructor for the FBI SWAT team. Wow. Remarkable and speaks so highly to, to the Bureau that they allowed me this opportunity. So the very people I was so afraid of, the, the SWAT team in San Francisco, all of a sudden here I am training them in unarmed self-defense to enhance Asian safety. From there, I discovered something I didn't know, which was that the FBI actually does a lot of service to incarcerated uh, communities affected by incarceration yeah. and addiction. Now, uh, certainly, Xander, my belief is the FBI has to do better. We all have to do better. We all have to serve our sisters and brothers uh, affected by addiction and incarceration better if we as a society want to be the best society we can be. The, the FBI is no exception. Yet I have found that through my, my perseverance, through the inspiration that so many women and men gave me to improve myself, to be of service, and to follow that spiritual pathway, people I was so afraid of, the FBI, and the people I, let's face it, looked down upon, persons who were incarcerated or who are incarcerated, are my greatest sources of strength, my greatest sources of inspiration, my greatest sources of living my best life. And that's what it's all about. You know, it ain't about quitting drugs. Talk, talk to me. Talk to me about that a little bit. You're you're saying that it's the the incarcerated, you know, men and women that are the biggest source of inspiration for you. Can you can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I can tell a great story. I was in uh, High Desert State Prison, which is a maximum security prison in California. I was volunteering as uh, an entrepreneur coach. We just finished this amazing uh, long day of interacting with men whom. These are uh, whom are labeled by society as being the very worst of the very worst. Yeah. Right. These are men who have uh, who came up through street gangs that, you know, we all know the names of. These are men convicted of violent crimes, murder in many cases. I'm there in high desert state prison uh, peeling that uh, tape off the floor. This is, you know, that blue tape that you use when you're painting. Yeah. That, so I'm peeling it off. And, you know, it's been a, a, a 10 hour day or whatever it was. And I'm the every time I peel the tape off, it starts to break. So I got to scrape it with my yeah. fingernail. Jim, you know, I'm hungry, haven't eaten for. Anyway, this guy comes up to me, uh, an incarcerated man. And, and this man just had this presence like a, a mountain of goodness, just okay. this spiritual light, this big, you know, big, solid guy with this beaming smile like the, the sun coming up over the ocean. He starts to tell me his story. His name was uh, Abe, you know, or we'll call him Abe. And Abe's telling me about how he chooses to view his incarceration as an opportunity. Yeah. Abe is teaching others to avoid making the same mistakes he made. Abe becomes uh, a faith-based practitioner. Abe wow. sees his incarceration as one of the greatest blessings of his life. Now, if Abe, who's serving a long sentence in high desert state prison, can do that, 
then, then Ed Cressy can get through a half hour of peeling tape. Of peeling, peeling some tape off. Ed Cressy, yeah. yeah. I, I can, you know, I can make it another 20 minutes before, uh, you know, before getting my pizza or whatever we ended up having for dinner. The, the point is our, our sisters and brothers who are over incarcerated, who are transforming their lives. And this, you know, this, we, we, we look at the incarcerated population, the, the segment of the population I work with are so inspirational because they are engaged in life transformations. They are engaged in turning their lives around. The dedication, the perseverance they put forth truly inspires me to overcome the obstacles that I once thought were insurmountable. The obstacles that I once faced with a meth pipe in my hand or with a, a screaming match with the disembodied voices on a, a busy city street. I used to face my obstacles that way. Thanks to, thanks to people who are incarcerated, were incarcerated, turning their lives around, who imparted their wisdom upon me, like the guy Abe in High Desert State Prison. I can look at my life a different way. I can change my beliefs. I can believe in myself and my own potential and my own ability to overcome my obstacles. I can give back to other incarcerated people. Certainly I can help police and the FBI better serve the incarcerated population. Yeah. So many wonderful people in the police and FBI are doing. These are the, these are the things that uh, help me escape from the, uh, the life of conspiracy beliefs and drug addiction. And I think that's, that's so incredibly powerful. It's like it, some of the perspective that you've been given there, um, you know, reminds me, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Michael Singer, uh, the author of the untethered soul. Um, he talks about this in the, in the surrender experiment. You know, one of the things that he did throughout his life was he, he went and gave faith-based talks, uh, at, uh, at a prison as a, ma at a maximum security prison in Florida every single week for a year. And he kind of relayed a, a similar story. One of the biggest, scariest men in the entire prison, um, you know, ended up becoming a, a, a real lack of a better way of putting it like spiritual powerhouse, right? Because he started to view his incarceration. He, you know, he had done a lot of bad things, but he started to view, to view his incarceration as uh, a way to give back to others and, and help others. Um, you know, you mentioned the, that spirituality is the one thing that can't wait. Right. And he kind of viewed that as it, it kind of forced it upon him to no, no longer wait for spirituality, but provided a ton of context and, and perspective for, for Michael Singer, I think. Um, but I, I love that, you know, once you see somebody in that position can be happy and, and accept their circumstances and give back, it's like, well, why can't I, right? Why can't I, when I'm sitting here getting upset at Jeff Bezos, because my Amazon package didn't come in two days, right? Really, really changes the way that we look at the world, doesn't it? It changes our perspective. And as you know, Xander, Life is not about what happens to us. Life is about the perspective we take. Yeah. Life, you know, we, we as human beings, we're not troubled by things. We're troubled by the view we take of things. Oh, it's yeah. so important when someone like Abe or someone like uh, Michael Singer talks about perspective and helps us shift our perspective, then we shift our, we also change our reality. It's not our reality that shapes us. It's us shapes our, our realities. I love that, man. So, so. I want to dig into you a little bit because obviously there, you know, there's something, there's something unique about you that you've, you've, you've made that shift in that second chance uh, and you've got that second chance, but you've kept with it. You've been consistent with it. Right. I think there's a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of people that have been incarcerated that have fallen back into that. There's a lot of people that have suffered from addiction that have fallen back into that. Um, I, I'd love to understand for you, you mentioned a couple of things, obviously the three S's. Is there anything like specifically 
that, that you think is the reason why you continue on this path? You mentioned you've been sober now for, I think, th- 13 years, you said? Is that right? Yeah, it'll be 14 soon, God willing. Yeah. Con- congratulations, man. That's Thank amazing. You. What, you know, for, for anybody out there that's maybe on that path or knows anybody that's on that path, what advice would you have for them? Maybe something tactical, something that they can really be implementing, um, you know, today, tomorrow, this next week. Yeah. Well, the, the most important thing is to find a, find a way to believe in God. Yeah. It doesn't mean you should be like, uh, you know, for example, uh, let's say Christianity. Uh, some of my, uh, some of my greatest friends are, are Christian. One of, uh, a very close friend of mine who was Christian told me something that was pretty smart. He said that, uh, being a Christian means being more like Jesus. It doesn't mean being more like other Christians. Find a way to adopt a form of spirituality, find a way to believe in some form of God, understand that if there is such thing as God, which I believe there is, she lives inside each and every one of us. You know, we, as great as the rabbis and the pastors and, uh, and the rest of the re- religious practitioners are, they, they are awesome people in, in many cases. We don't, need a, we don't need other people to show us a path to God. Yeah. We don't you know, some person can be stranded on a desert island with no access to other people or to books or anything and still find God. Yeah. So for you listening, find a way. Or, or stuck in a maximum security prison or cell. stuck in a maximum security prison, exactly. As far as a tactical way, read and or listen to as many stories as possible. Yeah. Living our best life is like assembling a jigsaw puzzle. Every success story we hear gives us one more little piece. Some stories you hear are going to give you that corner piece or that edge piece. You know, you're assembling a jigsaw puzzle and you get the corner or the edge piece. You're like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's a good one. Some stories may just give you a little bit of blue sky or a little bit of green grass. That's fine. No one story is going to give you your entire puzzle. If you read or uh, listen to, have conversations with enough uh, people who tell their stories of success, you are going to slowly but surely assemble your own jigsaw puzzle. For example, uh, you know, me, I read Nelson Mandela's book. Uh, yeah. I read it twice and it's a 600 page book. That, that was a definite corner piece for me. Nelson Mandela's. Well, it uh, better been a corner piece at 600 was, pages, yeah. man. That's, that's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That it was, uh, it was, it was an amazing, remarkable book, uh, an incredible story. Sometimes I'll listen to a, uh, a podcast and I don't, you know, I might not even consciously remember that podcast, but still the, the person gave me a little bit of a blue sky, a little bit of green grass to incorporate into my own jigsaw puzzle. Other, other than, so, other than Nelson Mandela's book, is there, is there any, is there any maybe like a specific podcast that you remember or a TEDx that you remember or another book that you remember that was like an absolute game changer for you? Uh, you know, a specific podcast, uh, well, a book, uh, certainly, you know, and, uh, don't take this the wrong way, Xander, but I just watched your, your video on your top 10 books. You, 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 it was an awesome, awesome video, but I got to tell you in, in my, did I, did I miss one? Did I, I miss think, one? I think you missed one of the best, which <laughs> is, uh, it's called stride toward freedom. Okay. Uh, Martin Luther King. And when you read that story of, uh, of how Dr. King and, uh, and the people in Alabama organized the, uh, the, boy, the bus boycott, that is a remarkable story of how to lead a movement yeah. that, uh, that ends up changing the world. 
as, as that movement. Too. Absolutely. So stride toward freedom. I always, I, I always say- tell people that Martin Luther King was probably one of the best salesmen of an entire generation. He, he sold the entire world on a new way to believe and think. Amazing, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Uh, it's specific to addiction. Uh, Mary Carr. Mary Carr is a great writer. Uh, and there, there are so many. There's, uh, you know, I like my, for, uh, it, it might sound, uh, it might sound funny, but Mike Tyson comes to mind. He's got, yeah. uh, he's got a podcast and, uh, Mike is a guy who it, I didn't really know his story, but when you read about w- what he overcame and certainly how Mike Tyson came from a point of being what you think of as every man in the world wants to be. The, the yeah. toughest guy in the world, or considered the toughest guy in the world. The one, the one guy that nobody else wants to fight. Nobody else wants <laughs> to fight. All the money, all the material possessions, and Mike's life, the way he describes it in his book, and when he speaks, was uh, one of a complete void. Wow. Emptiness. It's surrounded by anything you can, uh, you, you, you can, the, the same with, uh, it's, it's, it's it, the same with uh, those guys, Motley Crue. Yeah. Remember Motley Crue? They were on the very, at the very top of what a lot of people consider the, the pinnacle of success. You know, the, the greatest band in rock and roll considered by many. And their lives were just misery and, and emptiness, even when they were at what many consider the, the very, very top. So persons like that, uh, such books like those, certainly, um, certainly people like uh, this woman, Anna David, uh, very well known in the recovery community who's, who's written some great books and who does a lot of remarkable work. And obviously, obviously your book as well, if you want to want to mention I, your I, book too. I, I would love to, but I can't put my book up with Mike Tyson or Anna David. Uh, you know, a very good friend of mine, uh, his name's Darren Prince, uh, an amazing, amazing guy. He's a, uh, a celebrity. Uh, he's an agent for celebrities and sports figures. Uh, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Charlie Sheen. Darren came from a place he was incredibly successful at 14 years old, uh, was addicted to opioids and prescription uh, painkillers for much of his life, got into recovery around the same time I did. And Darren is just a shining, beautiful light in the world of recovery right now. There are, there are many, many more stories, Andrew. We could be here you know, the rest yeah. of today and, and well into tomorrow talking about the stories of women and men. I think I think that's important, though, the, the way that you phrased it, right, is it's, you know, this isn't something that it just happens overnight. This happens, you know, piece at a time, jigsaw puzzle piece after jigsaw puzzle piece of, you know, first you have to make the commitment to building out the jigsaw puzzle, and then you just have to start doing the work. Um, so I think that's huge. Now, you you mentioned you mentioned a lot of people that, you know, obviously had a lot of issues feeling empty, having to fill that void uh, when externally they appeared to have success like Motley Crue, uh, you know, Mike Tyson, you know, knowing what you know now, what would you define as success in life? Success is understanding to to me, success is understanding that my time on this earth will end. It's not going to end today or tomorrow or probably a year from now, but some, someday I will pass on from this earth into the next stage of my journey. When I can grasp that every moment of, of every day, which I don't do now, but hopefully at some point through the course of my meditation and spirituality and through yeah. the course of so many incredible people inspiring me, I will live that in service. I, I will live out that truth in service to an ideal in service to a power that allows me to uh, fulfill whatever my highest purpose is on this life. And I'm pretty sure it has something to do with being of service to others. That, that's what success is to me. 
I love that. And, and, you know, I think, uh, it was, I think it was in the book Tuesdays with Maury where, you know, Maury, Maury talks about, um, you know, he's for, for anybody who hasn't read the book, he's, uh, you know, he's an elderly gentleman. He's a psychology professor that is, uh, on, on the downhill that the back ends of ALS and, um, you know, six months left to live. And he's just kind of recounting, you know, the major philosophies of life. And one of the things that he says is, uh, if more people just accepted that they were going to die, they would actually start to live. Right. And we all know we're going to die, but we haven't, have we truly accepted that? It, like you just mentioned at some point, like we won't be on this earth anymore. So are you living today the way that it needs to be lived? Yeah. I mean, Xander, we, we don't even know you and I, don't know that we'll make it to the end of this podcast recording. Yeah. You know, there could be a meteor strike. Could be a meteor. But, could be. Yeah. We, <laughs> we don't even know for sure that we're going to be here an hour from now, from now, but we know with absolute certainty that our time on this earth will end. And if that's the one thing about the future that we truly do know, then shouldn't we work backwards from there and live yeah. our lives uh, in service to that truth? That's, I love that. uh, that, that's the ideal anyway. And you know, I, I thank you so much for the opportunity to, to, say the name of my book. And I, I know I kind of passed up the opportunity, but can I? Yeah, go for it, man. Absolutely. Yeah. It's called uh, my addiction and recovery. Uh, it's what we're, uh, we're engaged in a process of, uh, of donating, uh, and or providing it at cost to correctional facilities. It's already been accepted by the state of California for use statewide in all correctional facilities there. It's been accepted by Massachusetts where I live and where I'm so fortunate to work with wonderful women and men in the corrections uh, system here. You know, it's being considered by New York, by Maine, and hopefully we'll have it in every prison, every correctional facility in the United States at some point. When you get a copy of my book, you, uh, you, know, you will get insights into what are the root causes of addiction. You will become inspired that despite the most hopeless, hopeless seeming circumstances, recovery and triumph are possible you will be supporting communities affected by incarceration and addiction because all profits from my book go to the uh, charitable causes and uh, you'll get a great story. You'll get a, uh, you know, you'll get a one of a kind story and it's, yeah. it's not a great story because Ed is a great person. It's a fantastic story because of the people that I was so fortunate to encounter through the course of my life. Absolutely. Love it, man. Uh, last question I got to ask for you. What, what do you think is the one thing you wish you learned in college? The one thing I wish I learned in college was like we were saying, it, it's not it, it, circumstances don't shape my beliefs. My beliefs shape my circumstances. I love that, Ed. Yeah. Thank you for that. And where, where can people learn more about you and about your book? You can go to my website, www.authoredcressy, all one word. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook. Uh, and you, one, you know, one final thing, if, if you or someone you love is struggling with addiction or conspiracy beliefs, uh, and if I can help in some way, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, you can, you know, I'm pretty easy to find. My, my, name's, uh, my name's pretty unique. You, you can find me, reach out, and as best I can, I will help you. Awesome. Thank you for that, man. And thank you so much for the time today. I know this is uh, going to be super helpful. And I know there's going to be somebody out there listening that this is going to be exactly what they needed to hear. Um, so it's been an absolute pleasure, Ed. Um, and for all of our shit you don't learn in college fans out there, if you've gotten any value from this podcast, don't forget to go to sidlicbook.com, S-Y-D-L-I-C book.com and grab your pre-sale copy of shit you don't learn in college. 
uh, which is open now. It'll be an absolute game changer. Everybody who buys our book during the pre-sale launch will get over $3,000 in bonus trainings and programs. So you'll want to head over to www.sidlickbook.com and check it out now. All right. Thanks, Ed. Thank you, Xander. It's been my pleasure. All right. That's all we have for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. And if you did, please share this episode on your social media and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. We can only spread our message when you share this knowledge with the others that need it. So we really appreciate the support. Thanks a ton.